Welcome to Combustible. Uh, for this week's episode, we've uh, got two guests in that we're going to be talking to uh, them about data and how uh, how that applies to the fire department, specifically uh, how that applies to uh, the guys that are riding the rigs. Uh, with us, we've got uh, Tom Burrell and Matt Hines Aldrich. Uh, I'm Bill Voorhees, and we've got Shane Dobson in the room again. And uh, yeah, say it like so. What? Well, we say it like we couldn't get rid of him. We, he showed <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, again. yeah. <laughs> and there's Shane. Can't can't, see him. can't shake him. <laughs> Why'd you give him the right address? He keeps coming back. Um, so that I don't butcher biographies, we're gonna get the guests to uh, tell a little bit about themselves. Matt, why don't you start? Yeah, thanks. I'm Matt Heinz Aldrich. Um, I currently work for uh, NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, uh, up in uh, uh, from the Quincy headquarters. So prior to that, uh, I've been there about a year now. In fact, actually, I think this is my year anniversary coming up. Um, prior to that, I worked for Atlanta Fire Rescue and um, and have been involved in the fire service about 15 years in one capacity or another, having been a volunteer in a tiny podunk uh, community and uh, having worked in a large metro department and uh, Primarily, though, a lot of my uh, background has been kind of more research-oriented, and uh, um, it's frankly, <clears throat> I, was starting, I was trying to explain to someone the other day, because they were asking me about my rather eclectic uh, fire background. I did work, I did a bunch of research years ago on firefoot arson. I've done my, my, uh, my dissertation was on firefighter culture, and everyone's kind of like, well, what's the theme that seems to run, th- like, what's the commonality here? Uh, and really, it's actually, uh, I I seem to have a penchant for going for uh, uh, the most complex and pr- pressing issues in the fire service. And, and okay. uh, uh, right now, the, the biggest issue I've found is, is, is data. And what is it? How does it mean? So that's, that's kind of what my new job is. And I can explain a little bit more about that as we go on. But that's my background uh, in a nutshell. Tom? And I'm Tom Burrell from DeKalb County Fire Rescue. Uh, been here for going on 13 years next month. And uh, my job here is uh, essentially working with our data uh, here to um, work through the ISO process, accreditation, and also our kind of long-range and short-term planning for the department. All right. And Matt, you said you started as a volunteer firefighter. Did you end up moving into research on fire fire departments because of that? Or, I mean, you could have gone a lot of different ways with with data and research. Yeah, absolutely. So I've... I've had kind of a long-standing interest uh, in, in the broader fire problem, uh, and so uh, uh, so actually, I was initially in school. I was actually planning to get into the fire investigation field, and uh, had trained as a fire investigator, and was looking at some jobs, uh, some of the, them in the insurance industry. I quickly realized that wasn't quite quite what I wanted to spend my career doing, and so decided to keep going. and And had some uh, mentors in academia who said, "Well, why don't you just while you're trying to figure it out, why don't you get your master's?" I had a chance to teach it. Uh, I taught my first fire science course as a master's student and, and kind of caught the bug and, and decided to keep going. And so then I went on to a, a PhD program and, and I taught basically, this is actually the first year in I think 10 now, maybe 11, that I've not, uh, I t- I've not taught at a collegiate level. So kind of taking a break a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> um, so that was kind of the thing that I really enjoyed is, is actually, again, both part of the research, but also the, the teaching element of it as well. And so, okay. um, and I left higher education to take the job in, in Atlanta, and then uh, uh, new op- a new exciting opportunity presented itself, and so I moved on. Right, okay. And Tom, I, you know, I know you came up 
through the uh, through the ranks in the fire service in in DeKalb, uh, riding trucks, and then kind of morphed into this. How did you end up becoming the data guy for DeKalb Fire Rescue? Uh, I think because we just basically didn't have one. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they caught me on a bad day. Uh, it's a long night on the truck. Really? <laughs> had tro- young children. I hadn't slept. Um, you know, and they're like, "Hey, we have this job where you could be at home at night and." Okay. Um, if you can use Excel, you can have it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all. That's, that was pretty much it. Um, we'll give you a computer too, and that was pretty like that was pretty nice. Wow. And uh, you know, it's funny. I joke about that, but th- that was almost how it happened. We 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 had a position that came uh, into being, and we had not had that before. Um, so there was no track record there. There was no history with any current employee having filled that role or worked in that capacity, and. Uh, in my time now, going on three years in the, in the role, I really found that to be a kind of a common theme across many fire departments, right. not just here in the metro Atlanta area, but across the country. And I think Matt could probably echo that as well. Uh, that a lot of times this position is is not always uh, someone who has the skill set or background. A lot of times we're filling that with someone coming off of the truck for whatever right. reason. Right. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's so, a steeper hill to climb there. Sometimes by choice, sometimes by... Uh, right, um, tag your it. Exactly. And sometimes, frankly, we, we have a, uh, a lot of folks who have interesting backgrounds who may uh, run a business on their part, uh, on their days off. They, right. they may actually enjoy statistics. Uh, you never know. <laughs> so. so, but, I mean, and I, consider me ignorant on all of this, but... How long has the fire service really been looking at data and saying, you know what, this is we need to be doing this? When did it start? So uh, um, interestingly, so uh, um, now that I work for NFPA, we've been one of the um, we have a long history. So even prior to America burning in 1976, there was mm-hmm. a lot of uh, uh, there was some data collection going on at that point. Um, and frankly, for for many decades after that, it was very much the same approach, which was that uh, um, somehow different how you did it. Like uh, we've always moved into a kind of PC age and, and using a small computer and actually doing. It. But for many years, it was somebody would call into the headquarters and they would fill out the report. Right. But it was always that you uh, you were trying to fill out a report for somebody else. Um, your your. Uh, um, <clears throat> your supervisor or, or uh, state fire marshal or somebody has kind of wanted a report, uh, right. needed a report of that. And so there's been a longstanding, and very, very much like policing, where there was a strong emphasis on after something happens, you have to write the report, and it goes into some filing cabinet. Right. And that's changing. That's This is where the real uh, emphasis here is, is that there's a real, uh, I often, uh, often talk about this, that there's, uh, and frankly, it's a continuum. Some departments are, are on the really cutting edge of this stuff, and there's some really incredibly innovative work going on uh, in, in fire departments across the country. And then there's also others that are still, um, are. this is not their reality. This is not how right. they organize. That frankly, in many cases, if they do fill out reports, it's kind of because I need to or right. I can't qualify for, grant, for grants without it. There's still that, that element. Well, I think that brings up a good point because you ask about data collection, and I think that's the big piece in that I've seen, especially here in our own department, uh, but not just a cab, a lot of fire departments, is that we've all been collecting data. As right. Matt said, America Burning came out. Most firefighters have heard of it. Um, some have read it or read through it. Um, and there's tons of information in there about the fire problem in the United States at that time. 
but you know what we weren't doing was the data use right all right so we were collecting data and kind of what matt said is these guys are filling out reports we've all been there it's three in the morning and you're doing this right, report and right nobody's gonna look at this thing right um somebody is looking at it someone's always been looking at it. they've been looking at it at that national level and what's different i think today and, and this trend's been coming on now for probably 20 years and a lot of departments are really just kind of catching on now is distilling that collection back down to that local level and i think that's what's interesting for me here in our department uh, for others that i've spoken to is you know you talk about the guy on the truck right we've, we've all been there we've been that guy on the truck filling out that report in the middle of the night um, why does this matter to me? And local departments are now seeing that that's data that we don't have to wait for Matt at NFPA to right. sort through for three years and then bring back well, a document. We can actually use that here in our department now to make credible arguments for staffing, resources, funding, yeah, all right. sorts of justification. And, and that's and that was really it. I mean, I think that for a long time the fire service got to be that that guy in the room that everybody liked, right? Um, you know, just right. by virtue of being here uh, and what we do, we, we, we have a lot of credibility, we have a lot of respect in the community, but we're in a more competitive environment these days, especially after the recession we just went through. The playing field is much more even now. Um, people, departments within county government, local government that we used to not necessarily have to compete with, we're having to compete with now, right. you know, and well, you've got to make a credible argument and that report that's getting filled out at three in the morning is part of that. Wouldn't you say the shift between America burning and where we are right now is was hugely impacted within the fire service on the ability not to fill out the incident report and send it to the NFPA so that they could crunch the data, but with the emergence of computing mm -hmm. through the 80s and 90s and what, what now anybody sitting at a computer has at their fingertips, the ability to crunch data has put that back on the departments and shifted that responsibility back locally. Sure, and that's and, and so one a uh, little bit of clarification, but I think it's an important thing, which is that uh, I think across uh, across many fire departments, a lot of times we don't really know what happens once we hit submit to our reports. Sure, um, or they go somewhere. Whether it's, yeah, and so and, and so <laughs> cloud. But, but that's but that's actually a key thing, which is that uh, and and this is one of the things that came up when I started my new job about a year ago is that. Um, there was a, someone asked me at one point. So, so you did you managed the Enfers and the Nifers program for your for your fire department? I said not really. That was that was done by our IT person who just submitted it. Uh, and but the way we looked at it in, in Atlanta, uh, and I think they still do, is that uh, once it kind of left their four walls, once it left their department, it, well, it was just out there, and mm -hmm. somebody else was using it for other other things. And and so uh, and so one. You know, a small clarification I would make. So once you you submit your or you, you submit your data locally, it goes into your system and in, in kind of whatever software you're using. Then it actually generally go, in most cases uh, goes to the state fire marshal's office, and they use it for uh, they use right. it for their purposes and and that kind of stuff. And then it goes to the uh, U.S. Fire Administration, and then they use it for their purposes. Then they share it out, and that's when people like N NFPA or or the insurance industry or whoever gets it. And that, but so I mean, I share that small clarification. For one, that's just the process, uh, the current process. But also, it's a key thing that a lot of times we don't have visibility into. I don't know. It just and th and this is frankly from a from the kind of uh, state uh, from the firefighter or the company officer position, we always saw as this kind of black hole. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. It is disappears, and then somebody somebody at somewhere else makes a decision. But and here's the key part that I think uh, this is one of the things I've really been emphasizing um, is that because it was always seen as it going to this black hole or kind of a one directional highway. It's like, oh, right, well, it just goes somewhere, and it's never actually filtering back to me. And and so then there was a, a lot of dialogue, and, and frankly, it comes up oftentimes. And frankly, a lot of people are. Um, that do data work are kind of sometimes get frustrated because they're like, well, the firefighters just don't care about it. It's like, well, have they ever had any reason to care about it? Right, right. Have you ever, um, has it ever been presented to them in a way that actually... Maybe means, beneficial. It, yeah, that means anything <laughs> right. to them. So at, particularly at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's like, uh, um, if we had a kind of a presumption that you need to spend more time on it because some person in D.C. or at the state fire marshal's office right. or NFPA needs better information, that doesn't resonate. I, yeah, that sounds great, but I want to go back to sleep. Right, uh, right. This, is my fourth, this is my fourth call since 11 o'clock. Your article on fire rescue, uh, I, I read it. You know, it was the first when I Googled you, it was the first thing that came up. Sure. Read it. <laughs> really? Um, Did you yeah. look in the images section? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a whole different I got, I got whole safe, different I got safe search set on my Google <laughs> search. Um, but uh, there was, and it, you know, there's a lot of information in there, a lot of great mm-hmm. information. But one sentence really stuck out to me when I read it. And you said, data is something we tend to do for someone else. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, from a firefighter's perspective, the guy, the, the guy on our trucks ride backwards. Right. Precisely. They are thinking exactly that. Where, where does it go to? And, and Tom and I were having a discussion just a, a couple days ago about how do you get true cultural change within an organization. So when we look at data and what's happening in our organization or whatever and how we get people to buy in, I look back to the fact that when Shane and I came to the fire service, we were still doing paper reports. Sure. You know, uh, we hadn't even gotten to, and computers were around, but we hadn't moved to that point. So when you when you talk about how to get those firefighters to buy in and, and mm-hmm. at what level they see that it actually affects them, it's really difficult. Sure. I have, I have a t-shirt that a uh, um, uh, one of the, the vendors was giving away at one of these conferences, and on the back it says, uh, I signed up to fight fire fi- uh, to fight fires, now all I fight is spreadsheets. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, but that's really, uh, uh, <laughs> for one, everyone's like, oh God, I, I, I get it. Um, but the other part of that is that there's a... Uh, um, Frankly, we don't uh, we don't tend to uh, appeal to, and we don't tend to recruit or um, tend to go for folks. Or, and frankly, also people are not necessarily generally interested in the fire service because like right. they're dating wonks. Just, I mean, obviously. Um, and so, and there's a transition period of like uh, uh, when you're when, again, when you're riding backwards, or you're the uh, the kind of company officer filling out the reports, or then, and this is where the um, this is where that, that change is occurring, whether it's been a, a conscious, deliberate effort or not. But uh, um, at, the, at the kind of uh, <clears throat> chief officer level and, and uh, uh, kind of more executive level, they're starting to get hammered on this kind of stuff. And, right. and uh, uh, as Tom alluded to earlier, the, the days of being able to kind of just bank on, on politics and goodwill uh, to be able to justify new apparatus or, frankly, in some cases, in some of the economic situation, the economic reality of some communities, to be able to justify the employees you currently have or the current yeah. equipment that you have and, and not uh, and not lose uh, uh, equipment or brownouts or all these other things that, frankly, have been re- the reality of some departments in the past decade or so. Um, increasingly, 
um, you're having to rely on, on information and, and data. And so, uh, and that's where the real kind of that rub comes in, which is that uh, one of the things, uh, um, there is a, as Tom mentioned, he does kind of works on the accreditation efforts here in, in DeKalb County, but um, so I've talked to a lot of the, the folks um, and I was I did a very similar role in Atlanta too. Is that talking with the accreditation people? It's really interesting that they said that they have this kind of this. It's kind of like a um, like a camel where there's two humps. People get really interested in accreditation, or in some cases they'll get a new chief that comes in. And that's their right. Um, They're pushing that change, and, and they'll say, "Yeah, we want to go for accreditation." Sometimes that's the uh, sometimes that's the argument that they make when the chief's trying to get a job, and they get really excited about it, and they get, kind of get a lot of groundswell. And then they start looking at their data and say, "Good God, uh, I can't use this yeah. for anything." Um, then they kind of then there's this kind of point of dejection of like, "Oh goodness, I'm gonna have to rebuild." And then but then it takes a little while to, to rebuild. That's back typically up. where the project gets handed off to someone else, right? <laughs> exactly. You asked how I got my job earlier. <laughs> you were on the downside of that hole. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be on the front side of the first time. But what Matt's describing is is exactly what we experienced here. You know. Uh, we had a new fire chief come in from outside the organization, um, right. and he's kind of you know did his scene survey and said, yeah, that's something we need to be doing, right? And so uh, the end result of that was uh, heading down this accreditation road. And I'll tell you right now, anybody that goes and takes the accreditation class, you're gonna you're gonna in the first day you're gonna learn about 90th percentiles and and that in the fire service they don't care about averages and. They don't care about you know how many minutes. They care about how many seconds. And you start learning about the way that these agencies that are pursuing these things are actually right. tracking their data. I came back home with my tail between my legs. You know, yeah, I right. thought we were rocking out over here in the cab, fighting fire, running calls. That we were a jam up place, and we are. You know, I'd put our guys up against anybody. But man, if you tried to take what we were putting into our infrastructure program and and put it out there in front of somebody, right. it would have yeah. been embarrassing. We weren't we weren't tracking our times like the national standard. I mean, we we couldn't even go down the road of accreditation. And I think you know you guys were both here for all this. We've since changed our records management system. We've changed how we track times. Um, there's been so much change in our data collection process right. just because what Matt alluded to, which was that that hump. I mean, we hit it. We hit it at full speed. Right. You know. So, so when. When we, anytime we talk about data, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize to uh, to Matt, okay? And I've done it. I meant to apologize right at the beginning. In your article, mm -hmm. you mentioned that data are, mm -hmm. and you 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 make the uh, the distinction that data is a plural noun, and that you know, mm -hmm. and I always say data is. So I apologize. But <laughs> I, I was I was waiting for something really good. I was like, uh, on grammar, I'll let you no, get away. Yeah, I, mean, right. I know I'm, I know I'm a recovering but, professor, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> but data. You know, anytime we talk about data and how data is going to impact the fire service, it ends up being this. Somebody always ends up saying basically what looked like minority report where you're going to have Tom Cruise at a, sure. a freaking screen mm -hmm. with all of the calls and he's swiping crap left mm -hmm. and right yeah. and figuring out where the next fire is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds really awesome. And that's what they sell, you know, down to those those firefighters that here, we're going to be able to tell you where the next fire is so that you can be there to mm -hmm. kick the front door and take an inch and three quarter through, you know. And then we look at our systems and we can't get X in the in the department to talk to wise computers you know sure. and stuff like that it, it's just there's this 
it's almost like Disney World. There's this huge promise of, mm-hmm. you know, here's how the world could be, and then you leave Disney World's property, and you, you're back in the swamp, and you're like, you know, sure. crap. We have an orange grove for you. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Fruit's great. Well, so but, how do you sell it to the firefighters? Well, and it's, it's, it's the, um, part of it is selling that we're on a journey. And, and there are some there's some really innovative stuff going on. Uh, I mean, I can uh, maybe later we'll touch upon some of the stuff around predictive analytics. And there were some not scary per se, but uh, um, definitely some really innovative and uh, uh, stuff that you didn't think was actually going on. So there's some really interesting research. And, and you're going to future cop me, aren't you? Yeah, there's a. There's a lot of it. But, let's, but, but the thing is, is like sometimes it's it's hard. Like we have to kind of frame it as a as a kind of a as a journey because that is out there. There's some people. Um, doing some really explore, ex- interesting exploration, but the reality is, in most of our communities, um, that we don't need like don't get caught up by looking at the, so far down the future. We really have to look at kind of how is, is this information being used in a company basis, or how. Right. Is it, and so this is, uh, and this is part of, um, I think, the progressions and that kind of stuff. And that, and really, I think the element uh, um, that Tom was at, uh, was illustrating. And that's one of the things I really, in my in my role with NFPA, and, and I'll explain a little bit more specifically about a big major project and initiative we're doing there. But one of the things I've, um, and using the proper uh, grammar on it, like uh, I've, so you might have heard of about this uh, um, this saying for uh, kind of all politics is local. It was from an old. Uh, um, uh, here, uh, this, well, this, is, this is Tom Burrell. Okay. <laughs> if any of our listeners can hear the, the incessant buzzing, that's Tom's two phones. And if he doesn't answer one of them, somebody immediately calls him on the other one, and it just kind of turns into a little cycle. Exactly. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry for ruining the party. <laughs> Your listening experience at home is terrible. I'm sorry. But, uh, but so Tip O'Neill is a famous politician, and he kind of said all politics is local. Because, again, we tend to think of national like it's... NFERS, National or NIFERS, however you want to pronounce right. it, National Fire Incident Reporting System is this. Every time we put the word national, it seems big and huge, and and uh, uh, but it also tends to presume that the way the things are going to come is kind of top down uh, from like uh, somebody is going to say, okay, now it's all going to change. Well, we all know that's not how uh, uh, our our government structures, our political structures, are set up. But also, that's not how change happens in the fire service. It happens kind of. Locally, and it kind of gets rolled up. And so, one of the things that uh, we're starting to see, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm just glad to be in the presence of someone who's that important. He's very popular. <laughs> I was say, it's, a little, it's a little like football and everything. Hey, like, uh, being around him every day, my self esteem right, just goes down, 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 down. down. I, every time his phone goes off, I look at mine and it's just dark. Silent. Yeah. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Um, but part of it, so I, I've kind of been uh, pitching this thing. It's become a, kind of a coin, like a phrase of coin, which is all data are local. Because it really, I've been trying to drive this point home, like particularly whenever people here in NFPA, again, big, big uh, national, but the reality is international organization, um, and that we're doing something that's going to, it's going to affect a lot of people, we, which is, there is some stuff, and I'll come back to that. But, uh, uh, but really that, this is more important at a local level, and frankly, uh, that's the way we're going to fix this, and that's the way, because um, again, at a national level, you, it's easy to kind of get frustrated with the data. It's like, God, there's so many issues, right. and so many this and that. But again, it goes, um, how do we get that company offset firefighter to value it? How do we make sure, and it's not, again, not value it because someone else needs it, but value it because it's actually important to them. Right. But is, and it, so, is it most of that value rooted in 
prevention efforts and things like that? There's a, there's a certain element of that. But the interesting thing is, uh, um, so in this, uh, this is a double-edged sword, uh, uh, but there's a real con- uh, concept that's coming out called performance management. And uh, in, in Atlanta, we had, uh, they still have a program called AFR STAT. And um, it's based on a concept that came out of policing in the 90s uh, in, in New York City called CompStat. And then it went to, uh, right. went to Baltimore, they called it CityStat, and then it's kind of progressed from there. But this was something where every two weeks, I think it might even be tomorrow, um, um, on a Tuesday morning, the, all the, 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 uh, everyone who's kind of a, a, a battalion chief and above or that equivalent rank in, in a civilian capacity comes together every two weeks and they look at performance measures and mm-hmm. they look at uh, something and historically this was uh, they looked at uh, um, they primarily looked at actual like uh, what they call like emergency performance so uh, response times turnout times those type of uh, analyses looking at like how how the different stations companies and battalions what have you working on and it's really important and there's a lot of you can actually uh, you can start identifying challenges and you can start um, addressing and move in uh, fixing some of those. But also one of the things that, as I mentioned, is double-edged sword because also it became um, it became somewhat negative uh, at one point and uh, and it was it was kind of uh, people felt like they were being unfairly like hit over the head with this and everything. And so there's a balancing act to this. In fire, uh, and this is really, uh, when you talk about performance management in the fire service, that we tend to think about, again, turnout time, travel time, all these type of performance, like performance measures for our operational performance, but there's a lot of other things, uh, and so that's one of the ways we were able to kind of turn the tide on this in Atlanta when I was there was that we started actually having performance measures for everything we did, and so because one of the things we'd hear is uh, the, the company officers and battalion chiefs would say, "Sure, I get it. We have some stuff we need to fix in operations, mm-hmm. but how many uh, payroll errors were there per quarter? Right. Um, why aren't we looking at those? How many?" Uh, um, right. Um, maybe stuff around inspections, maybe some of the other stuff. Inter- and I often share this as an example, and I have, uh, I have the greatest respect for the, the chaplain in, in uh, Atlanta. And so we actually had performance measures for our chaplain. Uh, wow. We had a full-time, it was a lieutenant, a sworn lieutenant, who uh, had been the chaplain for about 10 years or maybe even longer than that. Uh, just an absolutely f- fantastic guy. And, uh, uh, and I often use him as an example because I, I literally I always tell people we had performance measures for everything, including our chaplain. Everyone look at like soul saved, pray yeah, harder. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but I often exorcism use, <laughs> exactly, yeah, like, yeah. and everyone's like scratching their head. But but part of this is that uh, um, what it did is by ha- so every group or every section would have basically come up twice a year where they would have and they basically have fifteen minutes on the floor. There was some. There was a, uh, some stats behind them. There was a graph, a pie chart, or a, a bar graph, or something, and show kind of what they're doing. But really, what like uh, and and I use him as an example because one, it shocks everyone, but two, that it really uh, what it did is it illustrated because he was a chaplain that uh, uh, and no one really knew what he did. Right. What exactly does a chaplain do? Right. But uh, uh, but the reality is is because of that they kept when there was ever there was a request or a task or something that right. didn't quite fit within one shop or another they say chaplain could you take this on and and uh, and just by his his personality his answer to everything was sure i'm happy to right and so but he'd been there for about i think 10 or 12 years at that point 
And basically, every time they couldn't quite sure, they're like, "Sure, the chaplain can do that." And so he was like, he was juggling like thirty five different tasks and, and leading the CISM team for uh, like post incident stress, and he was doing this. And right. every time the mayor needed a chaplain, so it exposed that. And precisely, and so uh, he kind of said, "Yeah, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this." And and in fact, that was the thing that like struck me the most. So the first time we, he went up there, the, like the chief stood up and because uh, of course all the executive staff were there, and he's like, "Chaplain, for one, I want to give you uh, give you a round of applause, but two, I honestly did I didn't realize how many things we were putting on your your plate. And frankly, uh, let's have a, like let's have a sidebar on this and uh, figure out if some of these things can spin off to somebody else because." Because <clears throat> he's like, I'll yeah. be the first one to say, I didn't know what you did, so I just kept giving you more tasks. Yeah. <laughs> but and so, but there's a lot, there's an element that as we start looking at these type of things, we start and you start identifying problems, and that's where, and frankly, some of those problems are not necessarily kind of we're not holding uh, our firefighters and company officers' feet to the fire. I mean, there's on occasion there's maybe an element of that. Um, and often, frankly, you don't even have to hold their feet to the fire. You just simply say, "Hey, look, we see what you're doing." Or, or the other, the better one is uh, Cap or uh, or whoever the company officer might be or the battalion chief. I seem to notice that you guys are uh, substantially slower than the other uh, battalion right. station. Strike something. the old competitive and, and it's, nerves. And it's, I was going to say, is you don't even have to like. <laughs> yeah. There's no feet holding to the fire. It's just pointing out. Hmm. Why are you guys like twice as slow as those ones? Amazingly, changes occur. But all right, but sure. let's talk about how that change happens because sure. performance management in the Atlanta City Schools didn't go very well. Well, precise. it generated pressure that then right. individuals who didn't think the data mm-hmm. was important or didn't think it was important to them in the ways that the system thought it was important, they purely saw it as I need to keep my job, right. start turning in falsified data. Well, f- funny you should mention that. So uh, The fire uh, service is not immune to that either. Well, that no, was, I, no, no, absolutely. The sword, I think, and I think it has exactly. a lot to do with the environment from the top down. Exactly. When, it, when, it's, when it's perceived as adversarial right. and, uh, um, and when it's perceived as uh, uh, you're trying to hold me to account, then... Like uh, um, when you when you squish on it, it's going to come out somewhere. Like yeah. uh, um, and so uh, that was an issue. And frankly, I've, I've heard of this across the country that uh, um, particularly turnout time. That because mm-hmm. uh, um, turnout time measures from the time the alarm goes off until the time you're in route. But what is in route? <laughs> sure. And uh, um, <laughs> let's define that <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, well, but smashing uh, a button, they run out of the truck and precisely. They the button, and, and, and then so they go back was, inside. That was uh, and and of course, uh, of course, the data people around they're like, it's so easy to see it because it, their turnout time uh, shrinks, but then their travel time like uh, goes up, and so you can you can very clear, clearly see it. But again, uh, and that's what I uh, you're absolutely right with it. I mean, that's the that is the double edged sword. It can really cause uh, unintended consequences. And so, in fact, when I, uh, um, I've, I've taught a couple uh, uh, classes and lessons on this in the past, and I often use, uh, uh, if you haven't seen the, the film called, or the show called The Wire, it, was, it went, ran for five seasons. It was a cop show out of, uh, um, uh, out of Baltimore, and it was seen by many of the critics as, like, the best uh, police like, dr- uh, like crime drama ever. Um, <clears throat> but interestingly, one whole season, they look at CompStat, and uh, uh, and this is kind of uh, uh, <laughs> the comedy of it. I hopefully uh, spoiler alert um, <laughs> that, that, that they are looking at uh, crime in a particular community and, and particularly around uh, around drug crimes. And they uh, they say well they basically it's like whack a mole. So they kind of right. they hit one area and then they go somewhere else. They whack a mole, but they never actually get ahead. You never win. And so uh, and so again spoiler um, that one of the um, the majors was kind of like a battalion chief said. 
well, why don't we just all push them into one community, one little neighborhood that's um, that's basically a vacant uh, uh, a vacant community where nobody really lives? Let's just push them there and kind of turn our backs to it. And and as long as they stay there and do whatever they do, uh, and and so then it was a real interesting. It's kind of like a thought experiment. Well, what right. if you do that? And and they basically also contact a whole bunch of public health people. So they were doing the, like so the the whole series revolves around this concept. And then all of a sudden politically or uh, the media finds out or politically all of a sudden it's like you did what well because but because part of it was that they started looking and they're like crime is, is going down neighborhood all the people are happy and all this kind of stuff all the stuff that they they were claimed to look at and it, like and so my, the reason i share that is like whether or not like i'm going to completely ignore the, uh, the the kind of um people's thoughts on on drugs and the drug policy but like that when you have a uh, uh, when you start pushing us on them, there is going to be a re- reaction, and so you need to either prepare for it, right. look for it, or or really be candid as like say yes, we we want you to be creative, but right. like uh, uh, but there are certain things we're not going to uh, that right. are not acceptable or out of bounds, and so uh, um, and that's where we start like again as say, um, but part and so we you also can start like and this is the interesting thing when you start actually showing. Um, that information at a low level. So, for example, in Atlanta, one of the things we started, like uh, several of the stations, they explore, uh, started experimenting with uh, putting time, like countdown timers. So that was a right. way of, of, like, right in the in the bay, in the apparatus bay, there would be a timer. So whenever the um, whenever the alert would come through, the pre-alert, um, it would start a clock, and you would start seeing, okay, well, um, how much time has elapsed? The interesting thing is. When we did that to one of the, like the first station we did it to, the first thing they noticed was actually the countdown clock started about three seconds before the actual uh, station alert occurred, because the actual signal was coming through. Right. But it wasn't uh, tra- like there was there was a three second delay here. Right. Before and you so, got voice traffic kind of exactly. Right. And so then it would also, and that was just for the. It was three seconds before the actual station alert, which and is then it was just about ten, enough. About ten seconds before the actual right. verbal alert. And so uh, this distrust um, starts right precisely. out of the gate. <clears throat> but right. what it, but this, yeah, precisely. That's what it really starts illustrating is that uh, um, the, it, it can be used. For, I always we, we really emphasized when I was there that this is problem solving. So uh, um, that if you start seeing this, that the real we're not trying to beat anyone over the head. We're really trying to figure out. Okay, in that case, like so, we didn't even know that there was a three second delay between when like the the the, right. uh, the clock started ticking. There was three seconds. We never, no one even. It was not physically possible to know that that was uh, uh, that the right, clock right. had already been going. Then you had, and then there was all this delay. The same thing um, at other stations. There was another station where the station alert had stopped working, and so uh, um, and their times went skyrocketed. Hmm. And uh, um, and so then it came up like, what happened here? It's like, well, the station alert stopped working. It's like, okay, well. Has anyone put in a work order about this? Right. Like, thanks for telling. Or even, I'll give one last example in this, which is really, uh, this is probably the one that um, had the greatest, for me, uh, really uh, drove it home the most. We had one particular station. It happened to be what we called a battalion house, which is that there was a battalion chief there and there was an engine company. And uh, their turnout time was creeping up. And over a period of, I think, three months, it creeped up probably uh, uh, 20 some odd seconds. And so, uh, and it's the the place where the battalion chief was based. Right. And so, uh, uh, and so they were kind of like, ah, we're going to get you for not paying attention. And so, uh, uh, so the battalion chief, and this was a great the battalion chief, saw this and he knew he was going to get uh, that they were going to hammer on him. So he's like, uh, so he's he brought his captain in from that company, 
and, and said, I know you're going to have questions about why this one where I'm stationed is going up. And so I brought the captain in to explain it to you. And the captain comes in and says, yeah, so um, it's one of the older apparatus in the city, and it had an air leak. And so when the apparatus set for uh, a couple hours or right. a day or whatever it might be, the, uh, um, like the, air, like, uh, the, the uh, air tanks were empty. So it would take them several, uh, uh, take them 30 seconds to build up enough air uh, pressure to release the, uh, uh, to yeah. release the air brakes. We've all, we're all familiar, anyone yeah. going through apparatus classes is familiar with that. And so, uh, um, and so like uh, uh, the chief kind of like, like, look, stop, what have we done about this? And, and uh, uh, the captain said, we put in three or four uh, work orders. We brought in the apparatus multiple times. They, they claim that they uh, have either fixed it or can't find it every time and send it back. It's, we're still having the same problem. Our times are creeping up. Uh, and so basically, uh, <laughs> the chief stood up and said, all right, I've heard enough. As of today, that apparatus comes out of service and is not going back in service until we either have a new apparatus there or, uh, um, right. or we have a technician who can certify that, the, that we, we have a safety issue. We have brakes that we know are leaking. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, but did, does the firefighter at the station see that as data did what it was supposed to do and exposed a problem, or do they see it as data is completely wrong, look at this, I mean, we can't trust it. Sure. I think That's that. A good well, I want to ask I think that question you just asked is so dependent on the organization and how they've fostered that right. environment. Absolutely. I mean, going I mean, back to we talk about. That's my takeaway already right now. Sure. All. We talk about communication all the time and 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 all the ways that you can do more communicating, improve the communicating you're doing, and you know one of the things here. Uh, in us collecting data and looking at data more, I think when we communicate how we're using it mm-hmm. to our members, to the people in our department, um, and they see how it's being used, that it's not being used to whack-a-mole, just the, the slow right. company, right? right? The people with the you know three-and-a-half-minute turnout time. It's being used to identify, let's say, a gap in coverage. Right. You know, Precisely. we have, I personally believe, and I'm, I'm obviously biased on this, but I think we know more about our deficiencies now than we ever have. And, I agree. And there's people out there in the field, many of us know, who are also feeling very uh, vindicated in some way because for a long time they felt like they've been, they've been getting it handed to them. Every third day they come in and get it handed to them. Right. And that there's this disconnect between us and them, right? Those folks up there in the, in the glass tower, they don't know what we're doing out here. They don't realize how bad it is. They forgot. It's changed. You know, they've forgotten. Right. It's changed much. The truth is, in some ways, it has changed. Right. And, and you know, when you start looking at these numbers, it's no different in Atlanta and many other departments, uh, what your crews are running and, and how many calls they're running and the kinds of calls they're running and where they're running them and, and all these pieces that come into play when you're talking about data is not just, you know, a spreadsheet. Right. You know, it's, it's looking at the much bigger picture of um, how you're using that data, how you're using it to then also affect change in your department that improves the service to your community, that improves the, uh, for lack of a better term, the, the working conditions of your people, you know? Right. Um, I think last year our busiest ladder company was over 5,000 runs, 5,500 runs or something like that. Engine company was just short of that, five over 5,000 runs. That engine company is being outpaced by a couple hundred calls by a different engine company this year, you right. know? Um, but but that's not, and that's the thing is, that's not sustainable, and that's where we're killing our, our, our members. 
because right. we're we're running the and frankly in Atlanta we often joked about running the wheels off apparatus because we had wheels fall off apparatus because right. we were putting in the, uh, like uh, we had a, a new uh, apparatus that was a paramedic engine I believe within the first eighteen months it had forty five thousand miles on it. Now this, mind you, and this is at the same time. This is also how do we justify to our community and, and our, our the people who kind of hold the purse strings? We just spent about half, probably half a million dollars or maybe more on an apparatus um, that we're we're basically putting in fifty thousand miles. Uh, let's say let's say sixty thousand miles in two years on an apparatus. That's probably conservative. And it's like, how is that sustainable? Yeah. And so then we have to start thinking: Are there other ways? Because we're well, like again, uh, and are there maybe again other uh, ways of doing this? Are there other ways of uh, uh, we maybe again need to um, reconfigure some of the, the territories? And so that's, but it's only when you actually start actually actively looking at this information you can make these decisions. Right. And and that's uh, as I mentioned the kind of the paradigm shift. That's where a lot of fire departments are starting mm-hmm. to use. It. And then, frankly, it tends to be the larger uh, metros or county departments or whatever they might be who uh, who are have big budgets, have a lot of employees, that kind of stuff. And so I'll share with one thing that, like, I've had, a, like, uh, kind of socially people talk to me and ask me, so what do you do, for, like, for the fire service? And, and I mentioned about data and that kind of stuff, and, they're, and they give me this look, and because and, uh, they're like, why does the fire department need data? And this is like, these are community members, people just out there, and, and uh, um, I often put it back to them and say, uh, and I take out completely any reference to fire departments uh, or to fire service or anything like that, and, and I say, how many um, how many like uh, for-profit businesses do you know that have 1,100 employees, 36 stores, and uh, um, and 100 million dollars annual kind of uh, annual budget that don't have somebody that's running some numbers right. to make sure that we put the right, um, should we put more Cheerios in this store, or uh, should we right. like uh, should we do something over there? But frankly, those are the numbers from Atlanta. 36 stations, uh, 1,100 firefighters, and a $100 million a year budget. Like, you would never have stockholders that would kind of say, you know, we just trust you. Yeah. Like, uh, we think yeah. you're probably... Go get them, Chief. Exactly. Yeah. You got this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make it and, work. And so, uh, but increasingly, the but I communities... Think, I think maybe the firefighters actually think that sometimes. Make it work. Exactly. Our firefighters make it work. That's yes. definitely what makes it work. Exactly. And so that's where... Um, and, and so, like, when I put it in those terms of, like, in business terms, I'm like, you would never have stockholders right. who say, no, go for it. Like, uh, there's an expectation that you uh, would make sure uh, that, again, that you're using using your money effectively and efficiently. You're treating your employees, uh, um, that, that you're not burning out all your employees, all these type of things. Uh, and so that, I think, is where a lot of this paradigm shift is coming from. Is, uh, and, frankly, a lot of our uh, executive leaders are going through EFO. They're going through a lot of these things. And they're starting to realize, um, which is kind of professionalize that higher level kind of executive role, that realizing, hmm, I really need to think of this in, in business terms, which, again, there's double-edged swords with all of this stuff. We, but You just said it. It's the executive level that gets that education that here's why we need to use data. The, the key is the down. firefighter. Precisely. I, I always use the story. I, years ago, we had a fire chief and a police chief that were brothers. Mm-hmm. And I went to a commission meeting, and the, you know, the economy had tanked. And I, I'm sure I'm getting the details wrong on this, but... This was the gist of the whole conversation. The commissioners told the police chief that he needed to cut so many police officers for budgetary reasons. And somebody whispered in his ear, and he said, I don't have a problem with that. We'll make the cuts. By the way, crime is going to go up in that area by 14%. And 
you know, the needle scratched off the record. Right. Uh, hold on just a second. <laughs> and you say 14%. You know. It's an election year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the point is, is that he had that data. Mm-hmm. And it it literally meant, I've got the data, and I'm going to keep the, the police positions. That translates to, you've still got a job. Sure. We've been horrible in the fire service sure. about that for forever. Tying that into, this is why you're getting beaten up riding calls all night you don't get any sleep this is why the apparatus literally the wheels are coming off or whatever mm-hmm. we have a, a a terrible track record of making that connection you know those, those people are going to efo or whatever program they're getting the information sure. and the, the the education but i just think we do a horrible job of pushing that down to the firefighter and saying this is why this impacts you precisely so and that's and that you're absolutely on the money there and that's where i think there's an element of of uh um I think we actually can and should peg ourselves against law enforcement because they're frankly they're probably a decade ahead of us in this kind of understanding of data. And so in Atlanta, we had a uh, uh, they, they still have a assessment and planning section where uh, um, where they have a couple data analysts, they have a GIS analyst, and 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 people that are managing this. Uh, and and the cab you have Tom. Um, right, right. <laughs> but uh, and I so we, would, we we would often have uh, fire departments from across the country, I and mean, even some very large, I mean, incredibly large metros. We'd set up conference calls, and they're like, "So tell us how to do get what you have." And uh, um, and there are a few departments that have groups like that. But I would often turn around and say, "Well, I can share share with you what we're doing, how that kind of stuff." But really, go to your like your mayor's not going to care what's going on in Atlanta. If you're in who knows whereville, like uh, um, they don't care, like because they're not benchmarking themselves against right, Atlanta. Right. But if you go and say, well, look at our police department has uh, um, has a crime analyst, has uh, um, like a deployment analysis person, um, those type of things I think can really translate into, uh, um, and I think that's it's going. And I, part of it is also there's an element that we have for many years have taken the approach of. We don't want to. We don't want to let the, um, people know that we can't do things because we we will go out of our way to do everything we possibly can and, and kind of and we will kind of and we're also that's both uh, physically but also in terms of we we will promise people like the world we yes we can do all these things but it's going to have a negative impact and so like uh, that's, a, that's a fire service issue right there precisely right. and right. so but and part of that is like and Tom I'll kind of throw uh, uh, throw it to you in that like. Uh, um, one of the things we haven't done a good job because we're this is this gets kind of uncomfortable is kind of telling community people we're not going to be able to um, we're going to have a hard time getting to your community you're part of the neighborhood yeah like uh, this is where it gets really uncomfortable because we don't want to we definitely don't want to come out there and and say actually we really can't get to uh, and we cannot get to your part of the of our community in the uh, the time standards because we definitely don't want that splashed across the uh, the six o'clock news. Right. But right. at the same time, like at the you same time, it. it's a, there's a balancing act here. And and what you kind of highlighted is saying that there are consequences. And and but a part of that is also uh, we don't necessarily we haven't been very always very good at, at understanding what those consequences are. Is there a direct relationship? I would argue in some cases uh, you cut a few police positions. Crime is not. Um, there's not a direct correlation. Well, that's there's interesting. There's, there's a whole lot of other factors. He could have thrown out any number, and everybody, yep, right, but the uh-huh. commission heard it and went, okay, hold on, we're not cutting Precisely. those positions. <laughs> and, and so, so Tom, I'll kind of, exactly, so I'll kind of share, uh, kind of throw it to you, where, um, and, and some of the work trying to identify areas that are perhaps not as, as well covered as others in, in, 
uh, in the community. And, and again, we'll just refer to some mythical community that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, so don't write your senators. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I totally agree, and that's something that we've had to kind of uh, dance across here in DeKalb, where we're doing some planning and. Uh, over the last couple of years, Dunsman Analysis realized we had areas of the county where, like you said, we just can't get there from here. You know, um, in some cases, it really does feel that way. And um, you know, how you then go forward and making that argument and in a way that doesn't get you uh, as the lead story on the six o'clock news is is a real challenge. Um, what I'll tell all of you is that your firefighters already know. Right. You know, before you ever get the numbers out of, of the report. Yeah, they know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, the, right. When you go down there and you go, hey, uh, I got this question about this neighborhood, and you just see them all go, oh, yeah, that place. <laughs> you know, right. we saved the foundation out there a couple of years ago, right? And and a lot of departments have them. It's it's not just a, a decab thing. It, it, right. is, it is nationwide. And how you then approach it, I, I think we had some reasonable success last year and and how we approached it and it was by using a combination of things one was the data that our our members had been putting into infers but also then going back and comparing those numbers to some standards that were out there mm-hmm. and and not unreasonable standards in some cases looking at this number of calls people running a utilization rate uh, looking at response times looking at what happens when there's an extended response time uh, the outcomes, not just on fires, but medical. Let's face it, we're all running more medical. Sure. And so when we stand up and say, Grandma's going to die in the back bedroom of the house, uh, you know, the reality is Grandma's probably having a heart attack. And yeah. so we need to have both of those conversations and talk about how that all translates when it takes you 10 or 12 minutes to get somewhere on the road. Right. Um, we put together a pretty comprehensive document here in DeKalb working towards uh, uh, some capital funding. And... I was shocked at how well received it had been. You know, my experience has been that uh, it's very difficult here to get funding to replace even a station that needs to be replaced, let alone add Mm -hmm. a station. And we brought forward a plan that was well over uh, $90 million in capital improvements for not only uh, replacing stations, but adding stations to increase coverage. And what we did was very simple. We, We outlined that these were areas in need because of either uh, an inability to get there, um, a issue related to ISO where these people were going to be negatively impacted by their insurance rates, um, but also just time. And, you know, it's amazing when you put this in front of human beings that are living in the county and you say, hey, look, it takes us 12 minutes to get here, 13 minutes to right. get here. Oh, and by the way, that's tack on a minute and a half for us to get out of the station and a couple of right. minutes to get to the 911 center. Yeah, we'll be there in 15 minutes, you know. And it's one thing for us to say, let's go get lunch. I'll see you over there in 15 minutes. It's another thing when your house is on fire. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, you know, at the the end of the day, I think that's where the rubber meets the road for fire departments is, you know, taking this data and using it because it's going to benefit the citizens. But it's going to benefit your people. That guy riding tailboard, and you've got to sell that because you keep talking. And I think you're right. The, The people on the back of the truck are the ones putting it in. And you have to show them where the value is at. That's where the value ends up coming out: is the ability to make adjustments. It may not be adding a new station. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an automatic aid agreement, right. or you know, or in a certain portion of your jurisdiction. Um, because many people in, in different departments, ours included, have found themselves on a fire scene operating with a three-man crew mm-hmm. uh, for 10, 12, 15 minutes, sometimes by themselves, especially if you're right. out there on the edge of a of a of a jurisdiction. And so maybe it's getting someone help sooner. 
Um, maybe it's or getting in, augmenting staffing mm -hmm. potentially at those outlier stations. Augmenting staffing, right. bringing up new resources, right. uh, which you're seeing in a lot of departments for LA, Dallas, Atlanta's done it. We're looking to do it here. You know, looking at those places that run so many calls and looking at what kind of calls those are. And, you know, do the three guys on the rig with 500 gallons of water need to run down the road every day on those calls? Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time the answer is no. Maybe we, like uh, in using the use of the um, uh, alternative response vehicles for some of the low acuity or EMS calls. Right. Maybe, and again, particularly if you're having a, a $500,000 piece of apparatus, maybe we don't need to run them on every single medical call. Maybe right. we need to have a F-250 pickup or, right. or some other small... Uh, well, and, and what's the cost of that, too? I mean, I think that's where this all gets back to, you know, it's not just inverse. When, when we talk about, you know, uh, you know data, was it data-rich, information-poor, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'll probably screw that up. But, you know, this idea that <laughs> like we, 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 we have all these reports. I mean, we're, we're, we're making 83,000-plus reports a year, right. or incidents a year, plus all the reports everybody's doing, but what are we getting out of it? And if you go back to like what Matt talked about using kind of an alternative response vehicle, um, you know, well, why is that? It's not just because the engine's running 5,000 calls, the ladder's running 5,000 calls, or whatever the case may be. There's a cost to that truck running up and down the road. You know, every mile that's put on that rig, there's a, there's a cost. You know, you go ask your fleet, your fleet folks, you know, what does it cost to put a mile in this truck? They can probably tell you, and yeah. I can promise you they can tell you how much the fuel costs. Right. And so all those things add up, and, and we're all talking about a time where budgets are what they are, you know, and if there's a way to, to, to stretch it a little farther, to, to get more out of it, um, to be more responsible with the resources that, that we are getting, um, that's important at the end of the day going back to making those requests down the road for that next new station. You know, look, we've done what we can, and we use this data that this guy, Tommy Tailboard, put in the, the system to get to here. But, hey, look, you know, this is where it got us, and now we need to go to here. And to, to, to me, at the end of the day, a lot of this is just about being credible. Um, and that's a popular term in the accreditation world, but, it, but it's realistic. Um, I think all of us have been in a lot of firehouses, and I don't care where you go, whether it's in your own department or, you know, halfway across the country, Firemen was going to tell you they're busy, and and what does that really what is what is that what is busy, you know what does that mean what is the what is the impact of that, and taking that kind of argument that very generic argument to the people that are holding the purse strings is never going to get us anywhere. Yeah, and you know I think a lot of departments out there have have read the tea leaves and they they see where this is going, and what you have to be able to do is to walk in the room, much like that police chief did, and be able to say, this is where we are, right. this is where we've been, this is where we're going, and, and here's the data that backs it up, and be able to show that um, it's not just that we're busy, but this is the impact of being busy. This is the cost of doing business. You know, it's on the, it's on the, the maintenance and repair of the apparatus, it's on the people, all right, the wear and tear of the people, uh, which is huge. It's on the, the level of service delivery that your residents are receiving, mm -hmm. you know, and, and being able to t try to tie all that in, that's where all the data comes in. Yeah. Well, I will, I'm going to kind of wrap this up with, we all agree the, the uh, firefighter riding backwards has got to be impacted, but I think the, the thing that you just touched on and you as well, Matt, is that with the the firefighters it's one thing we've got to make sure that they understand that the data is important mm -hmm. but 
you know, you're talking, Tom, about building new stations. How long, if we decided to build a new station today, how long is that going to take? At least two years. Yeah, you know, I mean, these are long-term impacts, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to get the firefighters to see, Mm -hmm. you know, what what you're doing today, we might be able to get done in five years. You're going to give us the data. We're going to take the data, and we're going to crunch it. We're going to make an argument for a new station. We're going to have to put it before the commission. The commission's going to look at it and say yes or no. They'll debate it for a while. They'll come back. They'll say, yeah, you know, or we want more study on this or something. Sure. It's a very long-term solution. But that's also, we're kind of presuming that we're just starting this now. And that's where, and so there is going to be a slight lag period um, at this point. If, we, if For those departments that are really starting, like as we start making this transition, the ones mm-hmm. that are just starting to get this, yeah, there is going to be a, a lag to, because you're going to have to sell it for a while. And there's going to be, there's just, it's, things are slow. But this is where, as we as this becomes more normalized, and as this becomes more just the way we do business, right. uh, again, and there's good and bad with that. But uh, as this becomes the way we do business, there are um, that we hopefully we will be um, like <clears throat> providing this information on a regular basis. We'll be um, getting this information to the community, to our uh, elected right. officials on a regular basis, so that when we do have that big ask, then. Uh, um, then, then actually, there uh, um, it's much easier. And there's like, and in fact, just <clears throat> last week I was at FRI and uh, Fire Rescue International Conference in Charlotte, and I had a fire chief uh, uh, say that uh, he'd been in that position for a couple of years, and he he made a really strong argument based on some uh, data analysis of, of that there's a part of town that's really growing fast, and that uh, and so the city one city council person came up and said. Let me. Like, do I need to do this, something right away on this? He said, "No, I think we're in a good position. We can." Uh, we, but, um, but I think next year is going to be my budget. He said, "All right, I'm already on board. Just let me know in the meantime what you need me to do." And part of that is, uh, the more we can start kind of building that, like, uh, I mean, yeah, when we start from scratch, start sharing information with city council people and that kind of stuff. It's, we, we have, there's an education process for internally for our own folks, but there's also an education for the our community. Uh, and uh, um, but once we get that that uh, expectation, that legacy, and uh, we we build it up slowly, they right. uh, so in fact actually, and and that's I mean again using one last example from Atlanta that this didn't happen overnight. Having this performance management session where where battalion chiefs and I'll give I'll I'll put Atlanta battalion chiefs against any kind of mid level uh, chief or company officer in the country. They are some of the most data savvy uh, kind of mid level managers because they've been we've been doing this for now over a decade. Wow. And it, it didn't start that way, and uh, right. and it, there were some lumps and bumps for sure on the way. But they're um, increasingly they're starting to realize that. But frankly, also if I'm going to uh, if I'm going to move up in the organization, I need to at least be able to look at a scorecard, look at some very simple data analysis and say, hmm, why is that one so much higher than the other ones? I should go ask of somebody what's right. going on there. Right. But that's where it, it takes a little while, but as we get this momentum, it's going to change. And that's frankly what my role in NFPA is. I'm, uh, I'm not going to guess get into too much about that, but uh, it's trying to help uh, fire departments along that transition. How do we, there are a lot of innovators uh, and uh, uh, it may not seem like DeKalb Fire is an innovator in the data space, but we we're probably, right. uh, um, in many cases, still probably ahead of others. And we're trying to figure out how to best take those examples from those folks that are um, that are doing some really innovative stuff and, and share those uh, lessons and put those into, uh, maybe in some cases, put those into standards. And so that raise, basically become the tide that raises all boats. 
help those uh, departments that are really struggling with this. Because for every department that comes to us and says, yeah, we're really dealing with this issue, I usually can find 10 or 15 who like uh, I can kind of point them to and said, yeah, if, uh, rather than me telling you, actually, here's the, the information about that chief over there. They right. uh, Two years ago, they did the same thing, and here's how they were so able they to. got it done. And, and contact them and, and ask your questions to them. Not, not I won't, I mean, uh, I can tell you about it, but actually have them answer your questions. Right. And so, uh, uh, and as, as we do, the whole fire service is going to move uh, move forward. So I think, um, and that's, that's kind of, I think, uh, um, the, the theme here. Because let's face it, data in the fire service is never going to be the most sexy topic there is. Oh, no. it's, it's never going to be clickbait. Nobody shows up to the interview for uh, getting a job I can't wait, says, I can't wait to be, can't wait to be hunched over a computer, you know? If no, only I could. Right. I don't, that often you hear in the interviews is, well, why do you want to be a firefighter? Well, I, I just can't. I don't want to sit at a desk. I either got exactly. to action yeah. or sit in something different. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Uh, typically, we end our uh, our podcast with some questions. Uh, if you've ever seen the uh, TV show, the screen at with uh, what's his name with the Screen Actors Guild, he always asks. I look to you for that kind of information. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, 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 no. The one with the beard. Oh, that, uh, 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 James. Will uh, Ferrell does the impersonation of him. Uh, anyway, we've kind of tailored the questions toward the fire service, so uh, these are short answer, very, you know, even one word, but uh, these are just off-the-cuff questions. We haven't given you any prep on what we're going to ask, but uh, why is Shane shaking it? Shane's shaking his head. <laughs> this is just me, buddy. Just okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, Matt, you, you have a background in the fire service. Uh, you were a volunteer firefighter, so, you know. Pull back to those days because some mm-hmm. of these are. Uh, sure. But uh, what's your favorite word on the fire on the fire ground? What was your favorite word or phrase? Um, favorite word. God, I feel like it's been apparently a lot longer than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll punt on that one. Smoke showing. Okay. Every day. All right, and I think in my like uh, the, the small department I was in, uh, we had seventy square miles or something ridiculous, and I actually lived in the uh, in an area that was not actually covered by that. So I really didn't make a whole lot of uh, um, like there'd be whiffs of smoke uh, that were long since put out by the time I ever made it there. Um, all right, fair enough. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Uh, all right, what motivates you, Matt? Um, part of it is. Uh, it, uh, I, I really like uh, and dealing with some of the most persistent challenges. Uh, uh, doesn't necessarily always make me the f- most favorite person in the fire service. Um, I definitely didn't win a whole lot of friends with uh, talking about firefighter arson. I can assure you. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but I, I, I really like uh, kind of these these real challenges in the fire service and help trying to figure out chart a okay. way forward. Okay. So, yes. Tom. Uh, for me. Personally, here in our department, it is working towards the betterment of the department for the citizens from when I live here, but but also for the, the, the men and women who we all call our brothers and sisters here in the campfire. Right. Um, 13 years here, I know the kind of people that we have, I know the kind of work that they do day in and day out, and I know the conditions they do it in. Right. And the, the, the biggest reason that I accepted the, the role that I'm in um, I tell people I'm an idiot. You know, you trade in a riding a hook and ladder truck for riding a desk. There's got to be something wrong with you. Right. right. But it's it's because I felt like this was um, the emerging path to actually seeing some of these 
things come to fruition. That if we could get better in this area that we really never tried to get better in, and I hope I don't offend anybody with that, um, but if we can make some progress there, that the guys and gals out there on the line would be the ones that would truly benefit. Sure. Uh, Tom, what's your favorite book? Oh, man. Um, well, it's one I actually just gave you. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Blue Highways. <laughs> uh, Blue Highways, it was a book by William Least Heat Moon. A uh, guy was going through, uh, I think, a divorce and whatnot. He, uh, he decides to outfit his uh, conversion van into basically an apartment and decides to drive the back roads, highways of America. Um, I love to travel. It's um, where my disposable income goes to. Um, and I think that there is a tremendous amount of value that comes out of experiencing um, how how other people live, where they live, right. um, and getting some real good perspective on uh, on the country and the world. And he went around, he drove a big loop around the country, saw lots of parts of the country, met lots of people, um, and just, just that idea of, of, of seeing the country, meeting the people that are out there. Um, you know, America's not on the East Coast, it's not on the West Coast, it's not necessarily in the cities, it's it's everywhere, it's everywhere in between. Right. And that book was uh, was was pretty awesome. Matt? Yeah, I, I was thinking, I was like, hmm, I'm going to come off really one-dimensional here. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and, and also... Uh, Microsoft I, Excel. I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Statistical <laughs> analysis. <laughs> Quantitative analysis. <laughs> exactly. No, actually, uh, uh, probably favorite book... Uh, um, and this is probably more from my time as a, in academic, academia was uh, called On the Fire Line. Um, it was a, a study that was done by a guy who's apparently now at Harvard, but uh, um, about, again, this, I'm a nerd, I'm a, I own it, and, uh, uh, but he had spent a uh, summer on the fire line and then wrote his master's thesis, which turned into a book. Uh, it's okay. all about trying to understand how, how and why uh, and particularly wildland firemen, uh, but how long, why they get... Because um, that shit's real work. No kidding. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Structural guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is cakewalk compared to that. So, yeah, so actually I based my PhD dissertation on... It was very similar uh, to that kind of research. So. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what profession would you most want to do if you weren't a firefighter, Tom? Wow. Um, Where's your heart lead you? Man, that's and a good I, question. I've got an idea, but I want to hear you say. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine where that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I want to hear. <laughs> Everybody else's unfortunately, idea. <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't born equipped for that role. No, um, um, Leave it to Tom. Get uncomfortable. <laughs> you said this thing was flagged for a comment. Yeah. Um, no, uh, you know, I've... Uh, Going back to the book about traveling, if I could find a way to make a living off traveling, um, I think I would do it. Uh, I, 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 Rick Steves. That I know. Was, that was that was your profession I that I chose for you. It was Rick Steves. You'd probably, probably, uh, probably pull that off. Um, yeah. No. Uh, I think if I could find a way to make a living off of traveling, whether it was uh, right, you know, working working for an airline or, or whatever, that's that's what I would. I would choose to do. I think you'd look good as a trolley dolly. A trolley dolly. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Matt? San Francisco treat. You end up doing something else, what would it be? Frankly, I am doing the other thing that I... Uh, um, All right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I've, I've had the opportunity, like, uh, between teaching and working the fire service and doing this type of stuff. That is... So you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, 
All right, so uh, you're giving a huge speech, you know, uh, either FDIC, some some large venue, lots of people, and they're going to play a song. Not many people out. are coming to a data speech. Well, no, 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 no. Sorry. This is this is a <laughs> keynote <Pretend>. keynote <laughs> keynote data presentation. I mean, this is there are a lot of people that are eager to see it, but they're going to play a song as you come out on the stage. What what song are they going to play? <laughs> Um, well, we already talked about CCR. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe Freebird. Freebird. Okay. Okay. I'll be there All for right. a while. All right, Tom. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to answer, but I'm going to give you a funny story first. Um, my, when my wife and I got married, uh, Jennifer, God bless her. Um, uh, amen. That one. Yeah. She. she <laughs> Uh, we were at the church. We were meeting with the organist about the music for the mass. Uh, I was in a Catholic church, and I tried to convince the organist for our exit music to play "Start Me Up" by the Rolling Stones <laughs> because I thought that would be freaking badass. <laughs> but apparently, they frown upon uh, yeah, non-ecclesiastical yeah. music. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the diocese might be your. <laughs> well, that would be pretty sweet. Uh, you know what? Um, for no other reason than the intro is badass. It's going to be the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Okay, I could see that. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. Uh, we uh, hope you've enjoyed this. We hope it's at least spurred some thought. And um, we hope you uh, join us for our next episode, whatever that's going to be. But uh, that'll do it for today. Uh, I want to thank Matt Hines Aldrich and Tom Burrell for sitting down with us and talking about this. Uh, And uh, Shane, thanks for coming in. And I'm Bill Voorhees, and we'll catch you next time.